Amen. Let's take your Bibles, please, turn to Matthew chapter 10 this morning. Matthew chapter 10. And we're going to look at the Word of God today for a few moments. Matthew chapter 10. You must think when I'm up here and I open a hymn book that we haven't even picked songs for the service. That is not true. We have, normally we plan the service early and I send it out to anybody that's involved in the service, 12 or 13 people every week, if they're singing a special, if they are playing the piano, if they're in the sound booth, TV, whatever, and I send that all out and then you get up here and the Lord begins to speak to your heart. And I just felt like our great Savior fits so well today. He is a great Savior. And... uh, I don't know what it was. I caught Calvin out of the corner of my eye, and uh, I know he loves that song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. And I didn't do it for you, Kevin, but it just made me think of that song, and I thought, man, that fits so well. And uh, the Lord just uh, spoke to my heart through that, and praise the Lord, thank you for uh, going along with us and, uh, as we uh, worship the Lord together today. I appreciate your prayers this week. My wife and I are traveling to uh, North Carolina. I've been invited to speak at a missions conference next weekend in, uh, of all places, Marion, North Carolina. You won't find it on a map. If you look real hard you, uh, and zoom in real close, you might find it. It's about a half hour from Asheville, North Carolina is the bigger city there, and about an hour and a half from Charlotte. And so if you would pray for us, I, I'd appreciate that. I, I get pretty nervous when I'm speaking out. And uh, so I, I need the Lord's help and, and uh, to have the right... Uh, I'll be speaking four or five, I think five times, and, and I'll just need the Lord's help and making sure I have the right messages. And, uh, you know, when a church brings in a speaker, and that's no, what we do here uh, for something like that, you're making an investment and you want it to go well. And I know now at the other side of the coin, they're expecting a certain thing from me. So I, I just need your help. I need your prayers, especially that the Lord would help me, because I certainly don't feel like I should be preaching a missions conference. Anyway. Let's look at Matthew chapter 10 this morning. We're going to launch our uh, year theme this year. I don't like, obviously January 1st was the holiday, and so I, I waited a couple weeks to launch this idea of Speak Jesus. I uh, shared at our staff and deacon Christmas dinner back on December the 6th, I, I, I spoke that night and I shared this idea that this was what was on my heart and this is what we'd be looking at for this year. And uh, it kind of started with that song, Speak Jesus. And I'll be honest with you, the first time I heard them practicing it on a Sunday morning before they would sing that day, I really didn't know if I liked the song. I had no problem with the message of the song. I liked everything that the song said, but I just didn't want to get into that area of the, you know, the charismatics. Well, let's just speak Jesus. Let's just speak over everything. And I just wanted to be careful of that. And, uh, but the Bible says over and over again, we are to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to profess the Lord Jesus Christ over and over. And there's power in that name. Amen. There is power in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the more I listened to the song and thought about each phrase on its own, I realized that's exactly what we need is Jesus for our family. We need Jesus for healing. Uh, there is power in the name of Jesus. And it began to cultivate in my heart and to grow in my heart. And then it was just a couple weeks later that Tony would sing the song he just sang this morning. And I went, that's it. That's got to be it. I love the lovely name of Jesus, but not, I should never keep it to myself. We should profess it. And listen, by the way, and we're going to look at this throughout the year, it's not about just your lips. It's about your life. We profess with our lips, but we must also profess with our lives. And so speaking Jesus is more about just, uh, more than just confessing with your lips. There's a lot of people who say, well, I'm saved. I know the Lord. I'm a believer. 
But does your life show Jesus Christ? Are you speaking Christ with your life? Here's, here's what I know. In Acts chapter 4, or, or sorry, in Acts chapter 5, we see that Peter and John had just healed the man in Acts chapter 4 at the gate called Beautiful, and they, they had raised him up, and he went leaping and praising God into the temple. Well, they were put on trial for that. And I don't know what they said, because when I read the sermons of Peter, he seems like an intelligent guy. But the Bible says they could see that they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they had been with Jesus. Their lives professed. I suppose those Pharisees that were all educated thought as we listen to this man, Peter, and as we listen to John testify about what had happened with this lame man, they weren't impressed with their language. As a matter of fact, they were Galileans. And that was a derogatory thing in the Bible. Aren't these all men Galileans? Can anything good come out of Nazareth, the city of Galilee? And we, we read in the Bible that they were looked down upon as the laborers. They were not the elite. They were the fishermen, as Peter was. And they were the ones that, that, that labored in the fields and toiled to provide for the elite of Jerusalem. And so as they listened to their testimony, they were not impressed by what they heard. But they could not deny what they saw. They had been with Jesus. And as we consider this theme this year is to speak Jesus, I want you to Keep that in mind. It's not just about what we say. Sometimes we come home from a shopping trip in December and say, oh, you know, I, I told everybody Merry Christmas today. I was professing Jesus. But then you also tear a strip out of the cashier for charging you 15 cents too much. Your coupon was expired or something. We have to be careful that as we profess Jesus, it's not just about what we say, it's about what we do that our actions imitate what we say we are and what we profess to be. What does it mean to speak Jesus? I'm going to give you a little outline. And I'm not going to preach all this outline today, but I'm going to give you an idea of what we're going to think about throughout this year at different times. I won't, I won't preach it every Sunday. It'll be sprinkled in as we go. But to, to speak Jesus means this. Number one, to confess he is Lord. The Bible says we confess with our mouth. So it starts with a confession. We confess that he is Lord. It is a declaration of our faith, but it is also a demonstration of our faith. It's not just our lips, but it is our lives as well. So we declare our faith and we demonstrate our faith. Secondly, it is claim the power in his name. I'm not talking about some mystical sense like the name it, claim it group. And they, they throw out some mystical prayer requests and say, well, this is what I want. I want a million dollars and I claim it in the name of Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about claiming what the Bible already promises is ours. It's the precious name of Jesus that we can see that lives are changed, that souls are saved. Are you weeping over a soul today? Is there somebody that is going astray and it's breaking your heart? You can claim the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is not willing that any should perish, that all should come to repentance. And so we claim the promises that are already in the Bible. So we pray in his holy name and we know there's power in his holy name. But the third thing, when we think about what does it mean to speak Jesus, not only to confess he is Lord or to claim his power, but to carry out his will. You know, the best way to show that you're professing Christ in your life is just simple obedience. 
Sing, sing that kid's song with me. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands, doing it happily. Action is the key, do it immediately. Joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. I won't make you spell it. But isn't it true? You know, when Peter and John were confronted and they said, they're unlearned and ignorant men, but we can see they've been with Jesus. Do you know what Peter said? They, they forbade him to speak in the name of Jesus. He says, we can't help but teach and preach the things that we have seen. You know what Peter was saying? I have to be obedient to God. Whether it seem right unto you that we should obey men or God, but we will obey God. We'll obey God. Obedience is the best way. And so when we talk about to carry out his will, we're talking about the obedience of simply obeying the Lord and his direction for our lives and his will for our lives. But then fourthly, and this is the the ultimate goal, is to conform to his image. To conform to his image. The transformation of the heart, the reformation of our character, and the conformation is the ultimate goal. Think about those three words, transformation, reformation, confirmation. You might say, well, you need to conform to the image of Christ, and then you'll transform, and then you'll reform. I got to tell you this. The moment I got saved, we were transformed. And, and our character began to change. But I'm not yet conformed to the image of Christ. But one day I will be like him, for I shall see him as he is. Well, for now, that is the ultimate goal. To confess he is Lord is more than just a verbal attestation. So this morning, as we consider speak Jesus, we're going to talk about just confessing or professing. The Greek word is homoglia, and it means to confess or to profess. And in the Bible, we see it used interchangeably almost. But let's look at Matthew chapter 10 this morning. If you will, begin reading with me in verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. As the Lord Jesus Christ is giving some instruction here, how many of you think he's making a spiritual application? There's no doubt in my mind. Let's read verse 24 again. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. We, we understand that. That's just straightforward. Verse 25. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master. The Bible says we are to be conformed to the image of Christ. To be as his master. And the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Fear them not, therefore, for there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall be not, not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that speak ye in the light. And what ye hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetops. Boy, the Lord Jesus Christ said, don't hide this. Preach it. Be unashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. Go and speak it in the light and shout it from the rooftops. And fear not. Fear not. 
Verse 28, them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. Whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'd help us. As we set a theme for this year to speak Jesus, that we would understand that each and every day we must profess Christ with our lives. As we go into the supermarket, as we go to the hardware store, as we go to work tomorrow morning, may we be bright and shining lights of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, there's no better way to profess Christ than to be more like him. And I pray that you'd help us, Lord, as we go through this journey and this study of the word of God together, Lord, that each and every day we'd be more and more conformed to the image of the Son. That's what God has planned for our lives. The Bible says it is, we are predestinated to be conformed. That is God's plan for our lives. So, Father, I pray that you'd help us. And, Lord, today as we just bite off a small chunk of this, to confess that he is our Lord, to declare our faith and yet also demonstrate our faith to a lost and dying world, Lord, I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. May the Spirit of God guide us and help us today, we pray. Lord, I need your help, and I pray that you might fill me with thy spirit. Lord, minister as only you can. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me direct your attention again to Matthew chapter 10, verse 32. Just to the last two verses of our text this morning is where our focus will lie. Notice what it says. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father, which is in heaven. I want to take a few moments this morning and focus on verse 32, and we'll draw in verse 33 at the end as part of our application this morning. But notice what the Lord Jesus Christ is saying. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. Have you ever been ashamed of Christ? You know, sometimes we go to a place that's public. We don't want to pray for our meal. We don't want to speak much about the Lord. Sometimes we are tempted to say at a funeral home, well, I want you to know I'm praying for you, and we shy away a little bit because we're afraid it'll be met with anger or pushback. I'm not sure why the world would be upset about a kindness, one time I did say that. There was a young man, that Cody's cousin, who had been killed drunk driving. And he took a bend too hard. And when he took that bend, I mean, he went down in the ditch and he ended up in the second story of a house. Isn't that true? Down there by Glover Road on, on Highway 8. Did the, did the curve and couldn't make it. Killed four of them in the car. Condemned the house. Totally destroyed the house. And I remember going to his aunt and, in the funeral home and, and, and saying to her, well, we're praying for you. And she said, why? Why bother? No God. Very cold and calloused. We went to the funeral and 
it was an outdoor funeral, and it was just at the, the cemetery, and, and there was, because he was a young man, I think he was 21 or 22, wasn't very old, and, and uh, we, we stood way at the back, there was a lot of people. As we pulled in, there was, there was a car that had their speakers blaring as loud as they could in that cemetery, some rock song about knocking on heaven's door, somehow trying to cope with what was going on. The minister was a fellow that I had known. We had rented space from him for a few years in a united church building. And he was told that he was not allowed to speak the name of Christ. He wasn't allowed to refer to God at all. And so he didn't. He said some foolish stuff. He talked about the stars in the sky and how, how that we are all just stardust. And one day one of those stars came to earth and became Eric was his name. And Eric has now just returned to the stars. And he made a point of saying, that's, that's not some religious garble. He says, that's just good science. I thought, that's not even good science. That's just the foolishness of man. Science falsely so called. Cody's uncle was standing with me, and we were quite a ways back, and I had not been up near where it was, and and, and he got angry with all this man was saying. He was visibly upset. And he said something maybe he shouldn't have said. He said, I feel like stuffing that guy in the hole. I walked up at the end to pay my respects to the family, and I realized he had been cremated, and the hole was that big. I said, Gary, the hole's only that big. He says, no problem. No problem. What a bunch of foolishness. But isn't it sad when people don't know the name of Jesus? You know what's even sadder? When people who do know the name of Jesus don't speak it. There's another degree of sadness, I believe. It's when we profess with our lips that we know Jesus, but our hearts are far from him. And our lives do not reflect what we say we believe with our lips. Tomorrow you will go to work. Tomorrow you'll go to the store. Tomorrow you'll visit your doctor. Tomorrow you'll have some appointment. And that person will know that you profess to be a child of God. They will know that you go to a church and worship God on a Sunday. But can they tell from your life that you're a child of God? Because really when we talk about speaking Jesus, it's not about your lips at all. Because your lips don't matter if your life doesn't reflect it. To confess that he is Lord is more than just a simple verbal attestation. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. He said, but if I read the scriptures, confessing with my mouth is enough to be saved, and here's why. Because God knows everything. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart, God can look into your life, and he knows if that's a genuine conversion. He knows if you have a genuine faith. He can see to the heart of the matter. But the truth is this, the lost and dying world has no idea 
if you truly believe what you say until it's displayed in your life? Are you living like Jesus would want you to live? Salvation is the starting point, and it's not enough to simply confess with thy mouth. We must also believe in our hearts. Let me illustrate it this way. We can say a lot of things, but some people require proof. I have a friend in ministry, Pastor Boyd Stansford, and uh, we talk almost every day. We'll text, you know, just something. He, he, has his, he got a, a dad joke calendar. You know, you know what a dad joke is? Essentially, it's just a bad joke. Just a little. So his kids gave him this dad joke, and every day he peels one off and he reads it and he takes a picture of it and sends it to me. Thank you. And I told him, I said, Grandpa jokes are way better than dad jokes. I'm just telling you. And so if I hear one, I send it back to him, but he shares those with me every day. And so years ago, I knew our church supported him as a missionary. I hadn't met him yet. And uh, I was at a meeting in Vancouver, I guess about 10 years ago, and uh, he was down having some lunch, and I stopped, and I said, I just wanted to meet you. I said, you know, I'm pastor of Bethel Baptist Church now, and, and I said, you're one of our missionaries, and we talked a little bit, and we kind of hit it off. He's, he's just seven or eight months younger than I am, and so we're both the same age and kind of in the same life stage, and, and so we, we got, to, got to be friends. Well, through circumstances, um, I, I, I can't remember what happened. Something messed up with his room, and so he ended up we had an extra bed in our room. He came and shared our room. And, and then the next year, we were in Ottawa, and, and we went and uh, the sa- same thing. Our room got messed up that time, Brother Paul. We had, we had booked a room. Brother Paul and I had gone to this meeting, and we'd booked a room for three nights. Instead, they gave us three, night, three rooms for one night. So there was a, a miscommunication there. So we stayed one night in our room, and then others were gracious enough. Brother Stansford had an extra bed, and there was another fellow down the hall. Had, and so Paul went down there, and I stayed with Brother Stansford. And so we became very good friends through all of that. And so every year at the meeting, we kind of get together and do something together. And, uh, and, and so the funny thing was, that year in Vancouver, I had preached at that conference. The following year in Ottawa, I preached at that conference. Well, then a couple years later, he had me come out and preach a camp. He sponsors a camp for all the churches in Newfoundland. He said, I'm glad to have Brother Fear here. I've never heard him preach. He said, I met him in Vancouver, and I spent some time with him in Ottawa, but I've never heard him preach. I'm glad he's here. I said, I preached at both of those things, man. (laughs) Talk about humbling you right before you preach. But anyway, over all these years, it's been a decade now, he's never met my wife. He's never met my wife. As a matter of fact, last year, we were supposed to go to Newfoundland, my wife and I, for a mission trip, and I was going to be preaching there and helping them with a vacation Bible, whatever they wanted us to do, and we were going along for that. And uh, that night, before we got on the plane, my wife's father died suddenly, and we rerouted to Texas. So he says this to me, I don't even believe you have a wife. He said, I don't think anybody would marry you. And he says, you keep talking about Ida, and you keep talking about a wife, but he says, I, he says, anybody can put a Facebook page out there, or anybody can send a picture and Photoshop you together, and he says, I don't believe you have a wife. He says, just all fiction. He says, I got to see it to believe it. The world's like that. You can say my greatest relationship is the Lord Jesus Christ. But until they see it, they're not going to believe it. Pastor Masker always used to say this. Let me see if I can get it straight. 
Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your talk talks louder than your walk talks. Or your other way around, right? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Everybody, let's all say that together. Ready? (laughs) There was a Southern Gospel Quartet that wrote a song based on that. So somebody else must have said that. I sent it to Brother Massacre one day, and I said, look, they wrote a song based on your preaching. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Let that sink in. You're going to be saying that all afternoon now. You won't be able to sleep. But it's true. We can profess with our lips, but do they see it in your life? Let's look at the Word of God this morning if we could. Can people look at you and believe what you say? So to confess Christ, I've given you two things already, and we'll just look at them. Number one is the declaration of our faith. That's where we start. For some of us, that's a, that's a step of faith. That's a big leap, isn't it? To publicly say, I love the Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ. Tina's husband, Brian, uh, I met him when I was about 14 years old. And we had, we had uh, I was working in the grocery store in Port Dover, and whenever our freezers or refrigerator units broke down or something happened, it was Brian and Ron, his brother, that would come and fix those things all the way from Hamilton. And I'd get talking to them, and we'd, we'd know each other, and we'd talk a little bit. And, and I mean, that, that went on for about a year, year and a half. And then finally, one day, we had a ball tournament here at the church, and, and there's Ron and Brian. They walk across the field and say, hey, you go to church? I said, yeah. I said, you go to church? And Brian was instantly, and I was instantly embarrassed that we didn't ever talk about that. We'd known each other probably a year and a half. And I'm not saying that to shame Brian at all or embarrass him. It's just in a workplace, you're kind of nervous about that kind of thing, aren't you? You don't want the boss upset. You don't want somebody to be offended. And, and you don't want to lose that job. And you get rebuked for doing things like that. And, but are we openly willing to declare Christ? to profess him to a lost and dying world? Are we ashamed? The word confess means to, or profess in, in, the, in the word I gave you, homoglia, means to confess openly and joyfully. It's a declaration of our faith. And just from that definition alone, confess openly and joyfully, we could learn a lot, couldn't we? Not ashamed of Christ, but not just that. Not just from the negative side of things. I'm not ashamed of the cross of Jesus Christ. I'm not ashamed of the preaching of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. That's that's kind of a negative approach to it. But instead, I am joyfully and gladly proclaiming the name of Jesus. Is that the description of your life? Do you declare him openly? To reluctantly declare Christ in the shadows is not a profession at all. But to joyfully and openly declare Christ is to truly embrace who we are and what Christ has done for us. I've had people over the years say, well, pastor, you know, I'm a little bit nervous. Could I, you know, come in on a Tuesday and get baptized? No, it's a public profession of your faith. I've often wondered about baptism. I really have. I'm not questioning it. I grew up in a Baptist church and for years and years, okay, they're getting baptized. I didn't even think about it. But here's, here's what we're asking people to do. Go in the back room and change your clothes and put on a goofy-looking gown. Climb into a tank full of water in front of everybody. 
and I'm going to dunk you under as a profession of your faith. And I thought, man, that, that is odd. I understand the whole death, burial, resurrection, the picture of it and the symbol. I get that. But isn't that an odd thing to ask people to do? I think because the Lord says, if you'll do this, you'll do anything for me. If you are willing to humble yourself, by the way, he humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. I'm so glad there's a cross right across that baptistry tank because the baptistry tank is a picture of that death. It is identifying us with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we make a public profession of our faith and we come before the church, we're not to be ashamed. It should be a joyful time. And I know sometimes you're nervous and I know sometimes it's difficult, but can I encourage you, if you're not scripturally baptized by water immersion, humble yourself. I wasn't going to preach on baptism, but I just throw that in there. I remember when Donna Marshall, remember Donna Marshall? When she got baptized. I laid her back in the tank, and when she came up, she came up with both arms in the air, and she went, Woo! She was joyful about her profession. She's joyful about everything, but she was particularly excited that she had finally knew she was saved, and not only that, she was glad to profess it before everybody. Are you joyful in your declaration of the Lord Jesus Christ? Number one, it is essential for salvation. We already read Romans chapter 10, but let me give you 1 John chapter 4. And we have seen and do testify that the Father sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Whosoever confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, 10, I already read, but let me throw it in for context, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Have you professed the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior today? Do you know him personally? Years ago when Ida's dad got saved, we knew his mom had made a profession of faith and years earlier, but she'd just kind of been revived. And they were going to a church, Temple Baptist Church, in, uh, or Tabernacle Baptist Church in Lubbock, Texas. The pastor had been there. Listen, the pastor had been there so long, he presided over the funeral of Buddy Holly back in the 50s. He'd been there a, a time, right? And so I, I, we were concerned because George was going to church faithfully and, and mom was going to church. And so we, I finally, I stopped by the there's a, there's a sonic. Does anybody know what sonic is? There's a sonic right beside the church. It's my wife's favorite hamburger. And so one day she says, go get me a sonic. And sonic has all kinds of other things. I, we're not going to talk about that now. We'll get hungry. <laughs> so I said, okay, I'll go get you a hamburger. So I went over to sonic, and I slipped into the church first. And I found Brother Bynum, and I, I talked to him, and I said, Brother Bynum, I said, just keep praying Working on George, we appreciate so much, and we want, we want to, we're going to keep praying, we'll keep talking to him, but I believe he's pretty close to getting saved, would you? And he kind of looked at me funny. He didn't say anything, he just kind of, well, by the time I got home, he had called George, he says, George, you got to tell your family you got saved. He said, they're worried about you. They're concerned, they're praying, and he says, he, he says you, haven't, you haven't told them, he hadn't professed it yet. That day, he came and told us, he says, well, Brother Bynum called me, and he says, I just, you know, I'm a private, I'm quiet. He says, but I got saved. 
And let me tell you, from that moment of his profession on, his life changed. He was no longer quiet or ashamed. He'd be in his back room and he'd be crying. He'd come out after a half hour and he'd been, you could see tears. He says, I had to call this guy I did wrong 20 years ago, make it right. We started calling him Zacchaeus because he was paying back. There's something about being unashamed of Christ, publicly declaring your faith. It'll only get easier if you just keep doing it. That doesn't mean it won't come with persecution and it won't come with, uh, with blowback. But friends, be unashamed. It is essential for your salvation. It's just the starting point, though. The profession of our faith ought not end after we're saved. Keep professing Christ. So it is essential for our salvation, but it is also essential for service. Turn, if you will, to Acts chapter 4. You can keep your finger in Matthew 10 for a moment, but look at Acts chapter 4 this morning. My time is about gone already, and I'm on, I'll, I'll get there. Hold on, I won't tell you where I am in my message. Acts chapter 4, verse 18. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we not cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Jump over to Acts chapter 5, verse 41. So Peter and John have healed the man at the gate called Beautiful, and he's now they're on trial. And they said, we're not going to obey you. We're going to obey God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41, And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And here's what they did next. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. Listen, we can minister to people all we want, but we are to be ministers of the gospel first. Rob often jokes with me about, you know, if you're discouraged about something, he says, all I know is go, they're there. That's, that's his, it's a joke. But he says, that's kind of my level of sympathy. They're there and, and move on, right? And that's kind of men, that's what we do. We're just like that. The truth is, no matter what you say, you're saying they're there. Putting a band-aid on it. Do you know the, the word, the Yiddish word, yada? Yada, 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 yada. You hear somebody say, oh, yada, yada, yada. It actually means I know, I know, I know, I know. And so you'll hear people in, in the Jewish, uh, Jewish faith or just Jewish people, and they'll say, you'll hear somebody talking to somebody, oh, yada, 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 yada. I know, I know. It's a term that they would use at a graveside. Think about the grave of Lazarus as people came and Mary and Martha are weeping and people would be going, yada, yada, yada. I know, I know, I know. I feel your pain. But let's be honest, what we have to offer and means absolutely nothing. But if we can give people Jesus, the great comforter, the very Spirit of God dwelling within them by sharing with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. The name of Jesus, professing Christ, is essential for service. We can minister, we can help. Listen, you, you can take a meal to somebody, and that's a blessing to show a testimony and help somebody and bring them a meal when they're hungry. But if we never share with them Jesus, they'll go to hell with a full belly. At some point, we must declare our faith. It's a declaration of our faith. 
Listen, the end of the age will culminate with every knee bowing and every tongue confessing that Jesus Christ is king. But I want you to notice this also. It starts with a declaration of our faith, but it is sealed with a demonstration of our faith. It is sealed with a demonstration of our faith. Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. This is my last point. I only have two. Look at verse 14. What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it not works, is dead being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith with my works. Thou believest that there is one God, and thou doest well. The devil will also believe and tremble. How many of you get the idea James doesn't care what you say, he wants to see what you believe? Notice verse 19, or verse 20. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled, which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only? Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. I don't believe the passage is speaking about salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But the passage is speaking about living by faith daily, and how do we demonstrate it? You can say you have faith without works, but let me show you my faith by my works. Let me live out daily what I say I believe. Because others are looking at us. They're saying, you say you have faith. But if your life doesn't show it, can you truly be saved? You say you have faith, but your life doesn't show it. Is your faith dead? Is there anything there? What good is our faith if there's no action? So the Bible says in James chapter 2, and look at verse 14, our faith is acted out when we care for those in the household of faith. The Bible says in verse 15, if a brother or a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth the prophet? Even so faith of that not works is dead being alone. He says, uh, we, we must love the brethren. We must take care of one another. We must help one another. And our faith is acted out when we say, not only do I just believe it, but I'm going to act it out. I'm going to live it. I'm going to be a help to you. In Mark chapter 9, verse 41, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. We're to love one another. Faith in action is loving everybody all around you in this room. You say, well, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about that guy over there, that Adam. Ooh. 
He's hard to love. He's not if you get to know him, by the way. He's a great guy. But we have that thing in our heart, eh? I don't know. What is wrong with that person? I just don't click with them. Hey, I, I didn't say you had to click with them. We're supposed to love them. We're supposed to care for their needs. We're supposed to help them along. That's, that's faith in action. But notice what it says next. Not only do we have a care for those in the household of faith, we are to have a concern for those who need to hear about faith. What do we care about the lost? A lost and dying world. The Great Commission is not simply a verbal confession of your faith. It is a command to go. There's action. Those that would be willing to give their lives. In Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13, listen, I'll just read it for the sake of time. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt hath lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. Why do you think Jesus said that? Because we are great about having a candle and hiding it under a bushel. We say we have Jesus Christ, we profess it, but we don't actually act it out in our daily living. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick. And it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. It's not just about your declaration. It's about your demonstration. If we are going to speak Jesus this year, and I pray forever and always, we won't just say it with our lips, but we'll act it out in our daily lives. I anticipate as we go through these messages throughout the year, spending the most time on being conformed to his image. Because the more we become like Jesus, the more we will fulfill all these things in our lives that we are asked to do. We won't just declare it, we will demonstrate it. But today, let me ask you, are you confessing Christ? Not just in word, but also in deed. Listen to this, not just with verbal assent, but with visible action. Let me say that again. Maybe maybe that's the tagline you can take home with you today. Speaking Jesus is not about verbal assent. It's about visible action. It's not about what you say. It's about what you do. You say, but that, that sounds like a lot of work. No, no, listen. Listen to this. To act like Jesus is to have peace in the storm. It's not just all about work. It's about knowing his presence. Remember Jesus sleeping? I, that's, that's what I said when I introduced it to the staff. And I, I want to know what it's like to be able to sleep in a storm. It's about having comfort in the face of tragedy. It's about quietly being trustful during persecution. Professing Christ as being more like him. Now look at that last verse, verse 33, and we'll be done. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But look at the caveat. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Puts verse 33 in a whole light, doesn't it? A whole new light. So, oh no, I, 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 I would never deny the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you deny him in your actions? 
When people look at you, can they see Jesus? Titus chapter 1, verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him. Does that describe your life instead? They profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient and unto every good work, reprobate. It's not about your lips. It's about your life. Are we speaking Jesus? Let's pray. Father, help us. Speak to our hearts, Lord. I ran so quickly through these notes to get done in a reasonable time, but I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit of God would take it and use my feeble efforts to speak to hearts. May we commit ourselves to being more than just a verbal testimony, but a visible testimony. May people both hear about Jesus and see Jesus in our lives. May we, Lord, the opposite of that is to be a hypocrite. When our life doesn't line up with our tongue, we are hypocrites. That's what the world criticizes the church most about. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to be a family of believers that is always professing the name of Jesus, speaking the name of Jesus. But Lord, our lives would line up. Help us, Lord, we pray. Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Let's stand to our feet this morning with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Let me ask you this. The very first step is to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and if you believe in your heart, you can be saved. So once they preach, I'm not sure I'm saved. I don't know if I'd spend eternity with Christ in heaven. Could we help you today? Could we show you what the Bible says about having eternal life through Jesus Christ and him alone? I believe that with all my heart, that Jesus is the only way of salvation. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Do you know him today? You say, why do I need a Savior? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. There's one that says, I'll raise my hand. I'm not ashamed. I will ask for prayer. I'm not going to embarrass you. I won't call you out. I promise you that. But could I pray for you today? Is there one? Maybe there's others here today that need to commit themselves. For, For years you have said, I'm a Christian. If somebody were to ask me, I'd say, yeah, I go to church. Yes, I, I pray. Yes, I read a Bible. But let me ask you, can they see it in your life? It may take some self-examination. You may have to plead with God tomorrow morning and say, God, don't, don't let me fall into the, the bad language at work when I get into that lunchroom. Well, let me listen to the foolish jokes that they share. Help me to have a clear testimony that I have a living Savior in my life, that I'm changed and I'm different than the world. It's not just about your declaration, it's about your demonstration. Can they see Jesus in you? Spend some time with the Lord and ask Him to examine your life and to make sure that we are truly holding up the light of the gospel.